Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, cheers. Cheers, Jake. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sippin' Mimos. I'm Elliot. And I'm Jake. Okay. <laughs> this is the podcast where we uh, drink beverages often citrus-based, and talk about 90s radio rock and electronica. Yeah, uh, uh, I might add, this is the internet's premiere. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. The premiere podcast about radio rock and electronica. It's like a one-stop shop. If you're uh, you're an alcoholic beverage on a Sunday morning enthusiast, and you like Eve Six and Basement Jack, (laughs) you've come to the right place. Yes, uh, Jake, how you doing, man? You know, Elliot, the most amazing thing happened to me today. What's that? I was driving, and the open the you know the you know the alert on your car that goes off when uh, you aren't wearing your seatbelt. Oh, uh huh. At you, uh, I, I was just and I was just going to my my mailbox, so I do wear my seatbelt. But the most amazing thing happened. But you drive to your mailbox? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you got to keep that engine warm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you say so. I mean, how far away is this thing? Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm, just, I'm cutting you off. What, 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 what the fuck? Okay. Uh. <laughs> like, I have like a CD that I've been listening to, like the same song for like two weeks now because each trip is like 30 seconds. So it's pretty awesome. Okay. All right. Um, but my no seatbelt warning sound lined up perfectly with the song i was listening to in the car Ooh, i love that like Man. that and like and like windshield wipers if ah. they're going in beat i've uh, never had the windshield and, wipers happen that's I'm, I'm hoping i can experience that someday but oh it's 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 quite something and my favorite thing of all time is when you've got like you know whatever a mix playing or whatever and then the song ends just as you pull up and throw it in the park to turn off the car and it's that's so that. perfect it's that uh, seren- serendipity, I suppose they say. Uh, ooh, I love it. It was yeah. like I, I literally pulled up and sat and listened, like let, let, let the whole thing kind of play out, and I got my mail. So, so wait, how far away is this mailbox? Um, it's maybe <laughs> about maybe fifty yards. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. Hey, you're a busy guy. I get it. I'm a busy guy. You know, I mean, <laughs> I just got a lot going on right now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Don't we all? Don't we all? Uh, Jake, speaking of uh, a lot going on, how was your New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve, it was good. You know, uh, we just, we hung out here at the house, um, uh, made some steaks. Um, Ooh, okay. Just, uh, just took it easy. You know, it was really ugly weather here in town and, it was, yeah. It's kind of. It was nice just to kind of take it easy. We were trying to find like, uh, like New Year's Rock and Eve somewhere to stream on like YouTube. Oh, uh huh. It's gotta be out there, right? I I really want because I, I heard like Cindy Lauper had a really like really interesting performance when uh when you were living in when you were living in New York. Did you ever do New Year's Eve big? Did you ever do? It oh no no no. Well, <laughs> I mean, I certainly didn't go to the um. 
for the listeners. I used to live in New York. No big deal. It's kind of been, it's kind of a joke now. Um, uh, Cause I, I, people make fun of me for bringing it up. Like it gives me cool points or something. Um, but the Times Square New Year's Eve thing is uh, just a hellscape. Cause everyone crams in there to watch the fucking ball drop or whatever. I don't think you can hear anything, but there's nowhere to pee. And there's nowhere to use the restroom. So people are just like pissing and shitting on the sidewalks in Times Square. Like, cause they can't, you're not going to be able to walk into fucking Bubba Gump <laughs> shrimp or the M&M store to pee. Cause it's just not a thing. If you live there, it's very much avoided. Uh, so no, never, ever, ever. I've always tried to approach New Year's Eve as like, um, uh, as casually as possible because I think it's got, I think it's a problematic holiday because it has a countdown and it's like this weird Cinderella, Cinderella uh, thing going on where there's a time, there's a ticking clock and you have to be having fun at midnight. <laughs> and if you're not, then you're doing it wrong or something. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, expectations and pressure on New Year's Eve. So I, I try to go, I try to aim low and get pleasantly surprised. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> House party. That's what you want. That's what you want to do. You want to go to a house party at you know, until midnight. You know, do a champagne toast with your buddies, and then go out and try to get some rage on before it gets too late. That's the way to do it. I like a, I like a cold New Year's. We were, we were talking earlier. We were reminiscing earlier before we started recording about for the listeners that don't know we're we're living in Central Texas in Austin, good old Austin, yes. and. Oh, awesome. You know, a, a good, a solid winter for us is if it gets down to 50 degrees, you know, like maybe sometimes in the 40s. But a New Year's Eve a couple years ago, it actually snowed, uh, Texas snowed, which means it was just like powdered sugar. Um, you call it, you would call it a flurry in flurry. the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've, I've seen snow, like I can count on one hand all the times I've seen snow in my life. Uh, wow, really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, um, it was just like, it was magical. You know, we were out there, uh, at, at, uh, a bar here in town that we, we used to frequent in the before times. Yeah. Before times <laughs> when the land was good. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and we went outside. It's, it's harvest time soon. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, that was a magical news, but you know, it's, it was good. You know, we just, we hung out here. I feel like I know we watched a movie, but I'm totally drawing a blank right now. Oh, um, but you, when you were texting me, I forget when you were texting me, but you mentioned you were watching, uh, what did you text me about? Wait, a uh, hot, hot chick? Hot chick. Yes, I was watching the hot <laughs> chick on New Year's Eve. <laughs> and it's a Rob Schneider movie? Is it like a body swaps thing? What is yeah. it? <laughs> okay. Rob Schneider swaps bodies with uh, Rachel McAdams. Uh, oh wow! Okay, I, I believe that. was her first like movie role. Um, could really? be wrong. Yeah, but dude, wow. it's like that's like a who's who of like early aughts comedy. It's like you have Robert Schneider, you got <laughs> Anna yes. Ferris. Oh, love! You got about her a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. The the yeah. one she stoned, smiley or happy? Smiley, smiley face. I think smiley face. Yeah. Um. The the actress who played Jan on The Office, whose whose name is escaping me. Oh, uh-huh. 
um, she's on it. Who she's just fantastic and hilarious. And okay. I, I've, been, I've been watching the movie like honestly for almost twenty years now, and I never realized that Rachel McAdams' father uh, was Danny, the young kid in Caddyshack, the one that teams up with um, Chevy Chase. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. But honestly, we've been watching the movie a good part of my life. I, I don't know why. I I have a I have like a great love for the filmography of Rob Schneider. <laughs> okay. Uh but I do I do like a good body swap, like a freaky Friday or whatever. Uh, you, I do like Freaky Friday. I was gonna ask so you, you fan of that Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan joint? Yeah, I do like that. I think it's I think it's kind of hilarious and un, frankly underrated. And it's you know I think it's good. Well, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis is really like an amazing comedian. I think she's really funny. But uh, hey, speaking of body swaps and movies, did you see Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four? All right, so this is actually at the top of my list. Hoping <laughs> to discuss with you. Okay, Jake. Thoughts on Wonder Woman, 1984, WW84. I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Yeah? Yeah. People are shitting on it left and right. I don't understand quite why. Well, I guess I understand why, because I won't get to it in a second. But it's adorable. And, like, I don't know who was on set, but Gal Gadot, I think I'm pronouncing that right. You're meant to, you're meant to enunciate the T, yes? Gal Gadot, it's not Gadot. Um, she's... She's doing great. And Kristen Wiig was awesome. Um, Chris Pine was great. Uh, and Pedro Pascal just, just chewing that scenery and like overacting, sure. But it's a fucking Wonder Woman movie. Enjoy yourself. He, and it, re- it reminded me so much of Batman Returns. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Pascal was having a buffet. Like he, he was chewing yeah. it up. And honestly, I I was there for it, you know. I, I I don't know. I I think maybe a lot of it. I think maybe a lot of like the 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 disdain for it might might have been because because Soul was released and and Mulan as well, which you, you had to pay for Mulan and Soul was kind of like under the radar, but it was like the first major studio, you know, not not bypassing a theater. You know, but releasing on HBO for streaming right. uh, primarily, and I think I think it's safe to say that's how most people saw this movie. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah, if you're listening to this in the future, we're in a weird time, and they decided to release this this shit on you know on HBO, the HBO streaming service, and theaters at the same time, which is wild. Um, it's a big, big move, but uh, apparently their numbers are doing great and they've already greenlit a third one. Um, but like, I think it also, you know, you want to see this movie with a crowd of fans, right? Like, you know, like, like seeing a, like seeing an end game or something like that. You want everyone fucking cheering in the background and all that. So I think that impacted it a, a bit. Um, but I was like, I don't know I was tearing up. I was enjoying it myself. Uh, some of the action sequences are a little odd. Like, we have two openings, but the the mall scene like, at the beginning is kind of fantastic, and she's doing the little like um, you know Christopher Reeve wink uh, to the camera and all that. I thought that was just and just so uh, deliciously charming, and like I, I've heard like people compare Gal Gadot to 
like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like she's not, she's not going to get an Oscar. She can barely speak the language, <laughs> but God damn, do you want to watch her in movies? Cause like she's just this unbelievable otherworldly being that we're watching on screen. And it's amazing. And I'm, I'm here for it, man. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had no, I mean, I, I had a lot of people, I heard a lot of people, you know, were like ripping on like, so no spoilers for one, for one if you haven't seen it, but there's a particular uh, item in the movie that plays a very, you know, important part. Yes. And let's, just say, let's just say this item grants you what you want. That's all I'll say. Well, yeah, you can, whatever. Come on, everyone's seen it. You can so, say. Okay, so there's a wish. Hey, hey, spo- spoilers for Wonder Woman 84 if you haven't seen it. Spoilers for Wonder Woman. Skip it. Skip ahead 50 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> skip ahead for us to be like a basement jacks, smash pumpkins. All right, cool. Next episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right, yeah, okay, all right. Anyways, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this this podcast is now the uh, Wonder Woman uh, podcast. Um, yeah. No, there, so there is a, a wishing stone and, um, right. in the movie. And I, I saw on um, people were like making fun of that. And then one of uh, someone I follow on Twitter said like, okay, like I understand, like if you have problem, why are you okay with a stone that grants wishes when you're totally cool with the infinity stones, you know? And exactly. So yeah, I think there might be, I think there was a lot of um, negative bias towards one woman, like from the get go, which is unfortunate because you're right. Like, like, you know, Gagada is just, just wonderful she she seems like you know a really good person really you know nice person i mean uh, uh christian wig was nuts like she was yeah she was gr- i thought she was great uh, she was like, and like yeah scary as cheetah like when she like yeah. had the full like the full trans transfer uh transformed into uh-huh well yeah when she went full cheetah yeah Pe- folks were saying like the they thought the cgi looked shitty but i don't know i thought it looked kind of dope I thought it looked fine. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, with me, me and my girlfriend, we both, because she heard that it wasn't good. And I, I heard the same. So we kind of went into it like, Ugh. but yeah, we both really enjoyed it. I mean, dude, that scene where she flies in the air and she's like got her arms out when she's, I, I forget what country they're in, but like a tank flips and like, she like flies in the oh, air. Oh, like, okay. In the air. Like that was nuts. Like, yeah, yeah. And she saves those kids and all that. Yeah. yeah. And then catches the bullet with her whip and all that. Oh my God. But, um, but the scene when she like learns how to fly that score, that score song. Did you recognize? Here we go. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a song that was used in the score for kick-ass, which we've talked about many times in this podcast. I think it's called uh strobe, but I think there's a, it's an adagio. It must be using that yeah. correctly. Boom. Okay. Uh, but it's so just, gut-wrenchingly beautiful and i was losing my goddamn mind because she had to say goodbye to well okay eh, i don't know how much we should but like and then like it's, just, it's, it's this beautiful like um you know she's at her lowest point and yet at her highest physically and like you know literally and she just now she is not only does she okay have her powers back but she has now gained uh more ability and stuff and it's playing this beautiful score where we can hear a Chris Pine voiceover and it's so fucking awesome. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I just, 
the scene where they um where they're flying in the firework dude the invisible jet like yeah I, yeah i never yeah. read i never read a lot of one one i read more like batman yeah um but when we're, t- we're two we're two marvel bros right like yeah like yeah. but but that's why we can that's why we i think as intelligent marvel bros we can uh, we can forgive a wishy wishy stone you know because yeah. come on what's all of the marvel mcu about like pretty much that whole for like the first three phases where they were in search of wishing stones, you know, yeah. like, growing up comic books made me happy, you know, yeah. like they scared me you know, in good ways. Like, Oh, you know, like not like a, like a bad way, but like, you know, they freak, you know, like when, when you thought, when I thought Thor was dead, I was scared. I was like, Oh, Thor is dead. You know, or if Spider-Man, mm-hmm. you know, you know, was beat, but he came back and saved the day. It gave me hope. They made me happy, you know, like, they they were they were there and and I think that's that's kind of what like you know these films that you know we're lucky enough to you know to be able to see in in our lifetimes you know like I, I think we've talked before like if if you would have told me at ten like hey you see this comic book where Captain America is talking to Spider Man they're gonna make a yeah. whole movie about that I wouldn't have believed you you know and yeah and in the end I mean it's they're amazing stories and they're amazing characters and you know and I don't know. And I think Wonder Woman was just that. I think it was a, I think it was a funny, emotional, you know, uh, in, inspiring ride. And I, I yeah, totally enjoyed it. And a bunch of comic nerds in their thirties and forties that have opinions on this movie, like get, take a walk. Like <laughs> the, in the, in the, in the second opening of the movie, and it does have problems. Come on. But um, she, scoots a little girl across the mall floor and she slides into a big teddy bear and then winks at her and stuff like that. That's who this movie is for the kid. And it's, it's for, it's for little girls. So it's like, it would be like us bitching about my little pony or something like that, which I imagine a lot of dudes do because <laughs> there's that whole thing. Uh, but like one relax. And then, <laughs> as Frankie says, uh, and then two, like j- just, open your heart a little bit and like allow some things. Um, did you notice all the phallic imagery in the movie? What? <laughs> the, the wishing stone that we've mentioned before looks like a fucking dick and balls. And the Washington monument is shown about 27 times. <laughs> I did not know. See, I, it's due for a, a rewatch. So i I have to go back and look at this. Yeah. I, I watched it with a friend and afterwards I'm like, did you notice all the phallic imagery? And they're like, what? I'm like, are you kidding? I feel like I'm like, either I'm noticing it too much and I had to explore something about myself or <laughs> it was totally on purpose. The Washington Monument is like, bam, this big phallus. And it's shown so many times. And then this stone, I'm like, that stone looks familiar. I'm like, oh, it looks like my dick. <laughs> and like, well, now that you say it, there was that weird scene where... Chris Pine was taking a shower and Matt, Matt Dillon opened the door and he turns around and says, we did it partner. But oh, no, I'm sorry. That's wild things. Sorry. <laughs> Cause you watched it the other morning. Yeah. You weirdo. <laughs> uh, gentle listener. One of the things that Ellen and I discussed was a couple, a couple weeks ago during the Christmas yeah. holidays, uh, yeah. I woke up one morning Made myself a cup of pumpkin spice coffee. Uh, saw that uh, 
saw that uh, the, the late 90s classic Wild Things uh, starring Denise Richards, Matt Dillon, Kevin Bacon, Bill Murray, and of course, our, our, new, our new season two uh, love interest. The, um, the true Wonder Woman, if you ask me. Oh, wow. Nev. Nev. Uh, Ellie and I have been uh, bouncing around an idea. We're, um, <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure out uh, trying to figure out a title for our, for our segment. Uh, I think we settled on the never ending story with Nev Campbell, which I love. Yes, I love that. So uh, we're we're kind of shifting away from Adam Driver because uh, well, some shit went down last season, and I don't want to talk about it. It's a little st- still a little raw, but I, <laughs> I like that we're we're now way into Nev Campbell. Are we? <laughs> Are we still gonna? Are we still gonna be releasing our the stuff we got for road tripping with Adam Driver? With all the stuff we recorded with him? Uh-huh. No, okay. I think we should shelve that for a while. I don't know. I don't like it. Our our our, uh, our deep dives into like the 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 works of like Scorsese and Spike Lee and he got, he really got into it. Like he talked about his love life a lot, which was kind of shocking. It was really intense and like uh, his process and all that. But I don't think I don't know. He had shocking. Uh, he he listed his top twenty-five <laughs> albums from the nineties, and it was shocking. But I don't think we. It's not appropriate right now. I don't think we should raise these. Up. You're right, Adam. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I guess Adam. Uh, I don't know. Just text me back. <laughs> but for the never-ending story with Nev Campbell, super excited. But we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about. Party five, we're gonna do the whole Scream franchise. Of course, I want to have some questions about Wild Things. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think she's gonna be calling in at the end of this episode. Uh, well, she might, you know, we'll see. Well, she's busy. Well, is she, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if she, if she dials in. Okay. Uh, she does, I would love to hear her thoughts on our albums today, which are. Oh boy, here we go. You guys, Jake watched Wild Things in the morning. <laughs> I, I, that has to be restated in the morning in the morning like before noon okay it was, honestly, anyways it was like 9 45 <laughs> like, like it was it was something 45 <laughs> hey i've i've had mornings like that too so i get it but but and uh for 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 those who aren't familiar with um with this movie it's it's a very like um it's a, it's a very much a late night movie. It's yeah. It's, it's yeah. Um, even, yeah. even though ba- bacon is a breakfast food, but <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. I think that's the title. Did you were you okay with the body swap thing? Speaking yeah. of body swap, I mean, you were fine with that. You were fine with uh, uh, Wonder Woman raping a guy. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut this out. We can cut this out. There, the had, big, the big, the big problem that a lot of people have, and we can get to the albums in a second. <laughs> a lot of, the big problem people have with the movie is that, fuck it, um, Steve Trevor comes back, in uh, back to the future, his future, and he is he is not just him. It is as a superior, he, and he is takes over the body of a different person, and he is put in such physical harm <laughs> and in such danger. And Gal Gadot bangs his brains out like an Amazon should. Uh, and it just seems a little itchy. Like, why would you make that decision to... <laughs> why would you make that? 
<laughs> this ultra feminist like icon um why would you make that decision to put him in another dude's body who is helpless and unaware of anything that's going on it's an odd choice <laughs> thoughts jake <laughs> you know i have no, nothing i hadn't thought of that you uh, hadn't thought of that i will i will certainly take take, take a dig- well, you also you also didn't notice all the dicks in the movie so maybe it's just me <laughs> You know, um, the the movie Wonder Woman 1984 took place over the 4th of July weekend. Yeah. Which, the fireworks was, which is pretty cool um, in, in Washington, D.C. And, you know, one of the things one of the things you didn't <laughs> really see a lot of and you don't normally see a lot. Jake's, Jake's smiling, but he, like he has a good one <laughs> coming. I was just like, I'm just watching it go kill it. One of the things you don't see a lot of um, mm-hmm. the Fourth of July weekend are pumpkins. <laughs> Those are normally reserved for fall. I had to, I, that's my main issue with the movie. <laughs> Not enough pumpkins. There was no Thanksgiving scene. <laughs> yeah. If you saw a pumpkin right now, what would you do to it? Uh, I think I would smash it. Yeah, here we go, kids. <laughs> All right. So for so for that was a, that was like a that was a back and forth like you know uh, double that play. Like, back we volleyed that. Yeah, we volleyed the segue. Uh, here we go. Nineties, I was pretty heavy into the DJ thing and and like and just like following all this stuff and um, I was you know buying up all this music and and de- just devouring it. You know, we, you know, we've talked before like about you know uh, discovering Daft Punk, Chemical Brothers, you know, Fatboy Slim, this, this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, at the end, tail end of the nineties, ninety eight, ninety nine, was this crazy boom of electronic electronic music, especially at least. Access, access to it in the in the states, and this album came out, Remedy, and people were losing their shit about it. Um, it kind of came. I, I feel like it was released sort of at the um, right when like the um, Moby Play era was dying down. How that dominated everything for a while, and then this thing came out. Um, and it's a very different album, but it's you know uh, electronic. I. I Bought this album before you know um, I heard any of their other stuff, and it's it's their um, it's their full album debut. They have like, EPs out and stuff like this, and, and like a lot of white labels, I believe. And fell in love with it. I think it's so fucking fun. It's fun. Yeah. Um, that's like the big thing here. They're just having a good time, and the production is so loosey goosey, and they have like all these weird sounds. If you were listen to it in headphones, like just weird samples will pop up over like you know left and right. 
even off rhythm and it's like there's throwing these crazy samples um and the tracks off of this album became huge like rave anthems or at least you know party anthems and uh it was a good time it was a good time and a good listen jake what'd you think about remedy by basement jacks I, I you know a lot of my notes kind of echo um just what you said like i thought this one was a lot of fun um i i got some just some, some info on the band so they're an english duo yes um, that's what I, I i was thinking back you know about a lot of our a lot of our electronic selections primarily english uh yeah are they is it it's just is it the dance culture from europe it's just like they're just make this incredible electronic music not you know like a I, and I'm sure there's electronic music being made all over the world, but man, the stuff right. we've been listening to from the UK has just like it's been so solid. Like, what what is it? Like, what is it about the UK? Um, uh, honestly, I think it's the uh, it's the ACDC effect. In the states, you know, disco became a thing, and then over and over there, disco also became a thing. And then we had Kiss and ACDC and all these things, uh, and it became this like revolt against it where, you know, folks were, like, burning disco albums and stuff like that. They never had that. You know, and, like, so we had, like, in the States, there was, like, this big uh, backlash, you know, I should say, I guess, to disco. Like, you know, people were like, fuck the Bee Gees, you know, fuck Earth, Wind & Fire, fuck Casey and the Sunshine, you know, band or whatever. All these big bands were like, no, 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 no. This is American music. Stop dancing. Start punching people in the face and just rock and rolling. And that just hit a nerve here um, where there was this huge backlash to dancing. So they were able to just, um, I'm kind of speaking, I, I don't really know, but like, they were able to just grow this culture around dance and, and club culture and all this. And it was just kind of the thing to do. It wasn't like, oh, um, what you know, rock band are you seeing on Saturdays? What club are you going to? And what are they going to be playing? So, you know, um, you know, cut to like the '90s when when groups like Daft Punk and Basement Jacks are coming out. They're just in this thing that is considered um, the norm and considered uh, just part of the culture there. Like we're just clubbing, we're making house music, we're making techno, we're making whatever. And it was able to evolve there, I think, a lot quicker than it was here, except for some uh, you know special hot spots like Chicago and and Detroit, and a little and a little bit. San Francisco and Florida and maybe even a little bit in Houston. I don't know. But uh and in New York, of course. I think that'd be really cool, like to to see where that that break was, you know, because I I'd never yeah. is one of my favorite one of one of my favorite movies growing up was Detroit Rock City. Uh-huh. Um with my with my guy Eddie Furlong. Um <laughs> don't <laughs> and, Eddie uh, Furlong. Okay. Huge Furlong guy. Really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, he almost ruined T2, but all right. <laughs> That's your opinion, man. Um, <laughs> gotta go now. Um, <laughs> no, people, what we make. Did you call moi a dipshit? Yeah, yeah. Nice. That was pretty. <laughs> hey, we both got killer furlong impressions. Um, ooh, band name, <laughs> the furlongs. What about the Furlong Impression? It's like a weird psychedelic prog rock band. I like that. Or like the For How Longs. Ooh. 
For how long? Yeah, but spelled F U R. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that was one of the things, like in, in the whole movie, like there are these like guys are like dis like kiss, you know, like kiss, you know, disco sucks, which is weird though because eventually like kiss put out some kind of like you know borderline dancey music. Dare I say even kind of like disco influence music? I mean, yeah. So I think I think I think you're totally right. Like a lot of bands like dabbled in it, but maybe we're so afraid of, and you know, a lot of it is like, I imagine a lot of it is like labels being like, no, stick to your sound, like stick to what the fans want, you know? Yeah. And instead of like having faith in your fans and being like, no, like we want to, we want to try something new. We want to give it to our fans. I think, I think labels are often like, no, 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 no. Stick to this. And then that's how bands just kind of get stale, you know? And yeah. Uh, yeah no i agree and you know and the, the the amount of pressure to put out album after album must be intense and it's also a, a difference we'll find in electronic and dance music as we move forward and i think i've mentioned this before it's very much less album based and these electro this electronic and dance world it's all about singles 12 inches that can be played at these clubs so like you know one track on one side and one track on the other you have your a and your b and like, you just want a good track. So uh, Basement Jacks were, they got together in like 92, 93, didn't put Remedy out until 99, at which point they had honed their sound, released, uh, you know, um, lots of loads of like white label um, vinyl and, and like, I think an EP or whatever, but, but like they were already out there and they were able to track by track evolve their sound instead of album by album, which I think is so much pressure. Let's make a club banger and now let's make another one. Now let's make another one instead of let's put 10, 11, 12 tracks together and ha- as a cohesive idea, um, which I love. I love albums, but the, the, the pressure and the you know, speculation on w- what direction your, your band or your group is going in is so much more intense and perceived in a different way. Because Homework by Daft Punk, that was pretty much comprised of a bunch of singles, right? Right. It was, a, it was a collection of stuff they had been working on for a long time and, you know, uh, and had already been released. It's, and I think similar here, but maybe not every track. But And I wonder if albums like that were, are packaged for, like, the, geared more towards, let's say, like, the American market, who are so used to, um, so used to having just full albums. You know, maybe that's a way that they're, the way to market towards, instead of, like, I mean, because, like, you know, we collect vinyl, like, you know, we've, I'm sure you've, you spent your share of time, like, di- you know, digging in crates, you know, like, oh, yeah, or singles. Let's say, like, let's say you weren't into crate digging or you didn't collect vinyl, like, maybe you wouldn't be as into just owning, like, a 12 inch. Like, you'd want, like, a full two LP or a whole LP full of songs or something. Right. I think there's, like, in a bang for your buck kind of way or. Yeah. It's, it's it's literally more music, so yeah, I get that. Like, I, I, it's kind of like uh, when you were talking about the singles. Like, it, it kind of reminded me of like a punk rock element. I know, I know, like the Misfits did a lot of like just straight up singles and then comprised them all together on, on like one release after the fact. Right. Well, I suppose also like back in like the fifties when like uh, rock and roll and blues guys were just cutting forty fives and seven inches, you know, like. Even like Elvis, I think, to start off 
putting out seven inches. Um, yeah, you know, like well, shoot, like back then, like if you if you go back and like if you like check out like old songs, like a lot of them are you know between two and a half minutes, three minutes, maybe a couple more seconds, because that's all you could fit on a seven inch. You know, right. That's kind of became the norm because of the literal capacity of a vinyl record. Yeah. Yeah. And singles was the name of the game. You know, I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't until like the 60s when like, like the album itself, like when you had like albums like Pet Sounds, you know, you had like, you know, the Beatles doing their thing with like Rubber, uh, Pet Sounds and Rubber Soul, you know, then the Stones, oh. even though the Stones, I think the Stones like made an attempt at it, but I think the Stones are just like a blues pop band and they, they had like some like, great albums but at the end of the day i think they're more of like a singles I, that, that's just my opinion um but I, I i love seven inches i still you know i, I have i have a couple a couple boxes just filled with them i, I think they're i think they're fun because sometimes you just don't want to like it's, it sounds you don't just want to take out a whole record you know but you know <laughs> uh, you know djing like do you prefer i know i know because you you scratch so uh do you ever well. DJ with like seven inches or are you just a purely a 12 inch guy if you don't mind my uh, asking. hey that's a little personal where's my ruler uh are, you, are, are you a wishing stone or a washington monument <laughs> well done well done oh my god that's then holy shit that was a good one seven inches are notoriously difficult to dj with because especially if you're moving the record around a little bit um I don't, I don't scratch like a, like a scratch DJ necessarily, but, um, but, if, but if you're moving a record around, I'm manipulating it. Uh, a seven inch is inherently problematic because there's an adapter that goes on the middle of the platter. Yeah. And that can pop up if you're moving it around too much and like, and then your record slides off the thing and moves, you know, uh, an inch and a half the one way or the other and just ruins everything. So it's always easier to lock it down with a 12 inch. Like I've got, I've got like hundreds and hundreds of records over here, but like a stack of like 37 inches just because they, it's, they're hard to play. I remember you were, it was one, you were having a birthday one year and like, like you do it sometimes, you know, a birthday. Year. Yeah. And then uh, the fall times. And, uh, in the fall time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, we were, we were like talking about Enigma's return to innocence. Return of, yes. And return return to innocence. of it. Sorry. Return. Or is it return to innocence? I thought it was return. I I, return. You might. Well, you will probably know better than I because. Look into <laughs> your heart, my friend. You see the return to yourself. The return to innocence. Return to innocence. <laughs> and I had the 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 Austin Record Convention had just happened, and I was like. I bought I bought Enigma's Return to Innocence, and you're like, "Go get it! I'll I'll, de- I'll play it tonight." And Did you run home to get it? I ran home to get it. <laughs> you fucking weirdo! Just like driving to your mailbox, you drove all the way home just to grab a seven inch. But wh- and what hey, was it? who who hasn't driven home to grab a seven, seven inches or something? <laughs> hey, he's back. Uh, but, but yeah, you brought it out, and, and I of course dropped it, and it was the best. One one of my favorite memories. I I have video of it, and it always makes me smile. Oh, nice! All right, Jake, did you get a chance to listen to Basement Jack's Remedy? I did. Um, so uh, I got some. So looks like the the duo is Felix Bux, Buxton uh, mm-hmm. and Sam Ratcliffe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, um, so Felix does the vocals, and he's also a producer along with Simon, and he does all the instruments. So, like, production, does that mean, like, they're the ones, they're both sampling, uh, that's, that's what's going on there? Production meaning, um, they're, they're, they're clicking the mouse, and they're adjusting the levels, and they're making this thing, they're, you know, they're putting the kick drum where it needs to be, they're putting the snare drum where it needs to be, and they're, they're layering, they're recording and layering all these things over so the same same as any rock band order, but they're just okay. using electronic equipment sometimes. So, is Felix the more? I mean, it seems like he contributed more to the album on a musical level. Is is he like the? Is he like the? I don't want to say leader, but is he like the the guy in Basement Jacks, or are they? Would you say they're a pretty equal duo? That's an. That's always a tricky thing with, especially with, and maybe we should just devote a whole episode on why electronic music is full of duos. Perhaps at the heart of these duos that keep appearing in the albums I pick, I think one guy um, might have just a, just a more creative mind where he's throwing out all these crazy ideas, and then the other guy is over here making the sausage, putting it together and collapsing it into something that makes sense and um, stays on beat, stays on rhythm, and it's cohesive. I, and I think that's how this kind of works. I think this message, I think this episode is actually kind of a phallic episode. <laughs> because of sausage? All right, everyone. New Sip and Nemo's drinking game. Anytime Elliot or Jake say anything remotely phallic, take a shot. Fair enough. Uh, but no, I the I really enjoyed Remedy. Um, right off the bat, um, Rendezvous. Um, I heard something. Yep, the opener. I heard something that we hadn't heard a lot of in um, in, in our electronic selection, an acoustic guitar. Brilliant choice, and like track one sets them apart from a lot of different. Uh, immediately, they're like, you're like, this is a different kind of. Uh, dance music and it's got this acoustic guitar and the acoustic guitar has no reverb or anything it's right there next to you and then everything else is around the room it's i think it's beautiful production it's inspired it was really quick like it it kind of like stopped me i was taking like half my notes ready and i kind of stopped and was like oh shoot i kind of remind me uh, of, of a newer um did you ever hear did you ever listen to any like of avici yeah uh one amazing uh, EDM DJ unfortunately passed away yes. um, a couple years ago but he was incredible and he had that song um, Wake Me Up that started off with yeah. it kind of kind of reminded me of that okay I, I'm, I'm going to allow that comparison that's lovely um, fine but that, that came out 30 years after this you know like <laughs> it's a while yeah, like, or 20 I think. it's interesting how like hearing like because you know about you know ten years ago there, remember there there was the um, if you're listening to this in the future ten years ago would have been 2011 um, or if an alien was listening to this it would have been in the year X Y Z 235 um, <laughs> and we have established that aliens will find this before they find anything else <laughs> uh, how there was like this huge like EDM craze like. Music festivals went from like having bands like, um, like the White Stripes and the Killers as headliners to having 
Avicii, Calvin Harris, Dead Mouse, Skrillex, these guys, you know. Yeah. And right. What I've noticed it we haven't I don't think we've, we've really talked a lot about EDM on the show, but I feel like EDM maybe like took the the drum element of big beat. I don't I, I don't know too much I don't know very much about EDM. I don't know if, if they're sampling as much. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's sampling or as much as it is I don't I don't know if it's sampling or just straight up programming and manipulating. Well that's a lot to unpack and I have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> EDM is now uh, a modern in our times jargon meaning electronic dance music. Um, electronic dance music, EDM, is not a genre. Just like mashups are not a genre. It's, mashups are a technique. EDM is an umbrella term. I prefer electronica because it covers everything. Like uh, these giant festivals where people go ape shit and all this. Uh, and I'm fine with them. <laughs> but it's emphasis on the D. Hey, drink. Yeah. Oh, like reference. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a bit more dance than it is electronic and a bit more dance than it is music. The, some of these um, DJs and, all, and, and stuff, and certainly some of them I, I respect the hell out of. I think for me, maybe it's just my age showing, but like um, DJs, they, they don't quite have the technique and they don't quite have, uh, the, they're not really elevating um, and that, that always bums me out, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched that the sound is out there. I think that's cool. You know, that this, the dance thing is out there. That's great. But I think it's, it's just, they're coming at it from a very different direction than, than this like underground thing. And this is, this is about as, uh, you know, techno prickish as I'll get, like, there is something to be said about uh, the struggle that it took to get that kind of music into the popular realm and the problem with it now with modern edm i guess as we call it is like everyone's just waiting for the drop yeah everyone's waiting for the drop everything's build up build up or or, but that's not what it's about it's about grooves it's about funk and it's about disco and there's not a lot of drops on this album remedy by basic tracks yeah uh, or or on any of or any of the albums we listened to in, in season one either. Um, yeah. That, that's something I've like noticed. I mean, there's like certainly like hard hitting like drums for sure. Um, but not, not those big bass drops, you know? Um, yeah. Which, which I appreciate. Cause like the drop thing, it's, it gets kind of, it's kind of played out you know it's like it's yeah it's fun but it's exhausting if you're gonna listen to that for an hour oh my god yeah <laughs> yes um, i loved uh i loved uh the mc mc slaughter john on jump and shout how the way he jump did, and shout. yeah it's like his vocals just kind of like are doing a crescendo the entire verse like it's incredible i've never heard yeah um, I think there's like some YouTube videos that like say what he's saying because it's so indecipherable. And like you can just like him, he's like slowly pitching up his notes. It's awesome, awesome. Yeah, like that that blew my mind. I um, Red Alert, uh, which I think was the most popular song on Apple Music where I was listening to it. Yeah, it's uh, a big one. 
very good re- very good uh, reason super insanely catchy um you talked about how there's like random noise throughout the record and i think on this one i heard like a phone ringing at some point yeah yeah really neat just weird stuff you can see you can see the brush strokes you know like you, um they're not trying to be perfect they're not trying to be pristine and like robotic they're trying to Add a little, uh, you know, loosey goosey. Yeah. No, add a little uh, swing and jazz to it. You know, it's like yeah. just they're just trying to have fun. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, I love the. I'd love. It was a short song, but I just I thought the title was great. Jazzalude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of the uh, many interludes in this uh, album. Like, they'll do like little short uh, act breaks, I guess. You. Um. And then I, I love the the horns and like the Latin influence on Bingo Bingo. Yes, um, Bingo 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 Bingo. Bing, it felt like I felt like, yeah. felt like being in like a Miami club. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Which I wish I was right now. <laughs> recording sure. recording the podcast in a Miami club, like while that song was playing. Yeah. You know, 2021 is the year of positivity. Uh, and I think this was the, the best possible album to start that year off because it was just a heck of a lot of fun. Right on. Cool. Um, did you listen to it more than once? Uh, I listened to the the selected songs. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, more than once. For for future listens, is there something that you that you want me to listen listen for? Um, I just think it's um, very well sequenced. Including all these uh, you know, little interludes, you know, salute, uh, jazzalude, speakalude, gemalude, like all these little things that are act breaks within the album. And I think they were kind of interesting to note and uh, how the album like, grows and builds and then closes with being with you, which is a music, a beautiful track. Anyone listening, just type in Basement Jack's being with you, the letter U, uh, into YouTube or whatever. And it's, it's just a cool little album closer. It's really lovely. One of the things I saw on Wikipedia was a uh, was a quote from uh, from Felix B. That's what I'll call him. Um, I don't think you had it wrong. And he says, uh, "For me, remedy was always about togetherness, which is the appeal of house music. You may be black, you may be white, you may be Jew, you may be Gentile. It doesn't matter in our house." Uh, which I thought was a beautiful quote, and you know had a lot of the same. A lot of the same sentiments of what you were talking about earlier about um, the groove and just being together and that it summed it up perfectly. Absolutely.
So, uh, welcome back to uh, season premiere, season two premiere, uh, Sip and Season Miva. two premiere. Uh, so Elliot. Yes. Uh, we just spent a good amount of time talking about the absolute joy that was that wasn't in his Basement Jacks 1999's Remedy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we did. So, how bummed out did Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins make you? <laughs> um. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just as low as I can be right now, but it didn't really bum me out that much because I was just kind of enjoying it. <laughs> I really dug this one. Um, and like, you know, a lot of these tracks I've heard before, of course, because it's, it's a pretty big album. Um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Smashing Pumpkins. I'm a casual fan. I was always a big uh, fan of Adore, their album. Yeah. Um, you know, for, I guess... Um, almost a little too in character reasons because it's a little electronic and all that and all that. <laughs> but like, uh, for this to be their second album, as we alluded to earlier, I think it's fucking incredible, man. Um, uh, the production's nuts and, um, I'll, I'll, every track sounds great. Um, you know, and, uh, today, uh, is just insane. Something about disarm, like some and, and 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 later on in uh is it melancholy infinite sadness or whatever uh uh um tonight i think it's called is that a sequel to today i feel like is it like uh it's um i don't know if there's it has that you know that that iconic bell or it sounds like a yes. like, <gasps> bomb 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 hey what's up hey minute I'd, I'd never thought of it, but that that would totally make sense. I, I, I just, I, and I know there was a lot, and we, and we can we can touch on it here in a bit. But there was a lot of uh, the recording of this album was, uh, you know, rot, yeah, dramatic and and a tumultuous, yeah. tumultuous experience. You know, you had, you know, right off the bat, you had, you know, Big Willie Corgan, uh, Willie Willie Corgan, Big Willie Corgan. <laughs> Billy Corgan, mm-hmm. yeah, James Eha on on guitar, Darcy Retzky, and honestly, I think my my favorite rock drummer of all time, Jimmy Chamberlain. Like he's incredible. Like the uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see the Smashing Pumpkins a couple times in concert. Every time, like you just you can't take your eyes off of him. He's just like what's what's insane is you know, I, I read that when they recorded this album, I think they're a Chicago band. Chicago? Mm-hmm. Why did I think they were like Canadian or something? I don't know. They, it's, they well, maybe it's just, it's just cold weather music. Yeah. It's wintry music, right? Am I wrong? Absolutely. Okay. Very, very like gloomy um, music. Yeah. But at the time of recording, Jimmy Chandler, he was suffering a, a really bad heroin uh, addiction. Um, so the band decided to record in Georgia to kind of get him away from that drug scene that he was uh, so heavily involved in. Um, yeah. I mean, like Billy Corgan, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of stories about how he's like, you know, a complicated you know, individual. That's my understanding as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, it's just, I, I didn't know that they recorded it in a way in, in honestly, like in a way to save his life. You know, like they were like, wow. we, we need to get this. We need to get him away from all this. Let's go to Georgia and record this album, you know? And 
I heard that during the recording, like Jimmy would leave for long periods of time and the band wouldn't know where he is. And at one point while recording um, Cherub Rock, the opening track, um, Billy made Jimmy play the drum part so many times until his hands bled, you know, that in a way to like snap him out of what he was going through. Oh my God. Uh, so there was a lot that went into this, to the recording of this. I, I um, apparently Billy Corgan recorded some guitar parts for just one song, uh, anywhere between 40 and a hundred guitar takes. Oh, like, so th- there was so much to unpack emotionally that went into this record. Um, and I think, honestly, they, they just, I think the band laid it all out on the table. And honestly, I think it's, I, I would, I think it would, it's, it's a masterpiece of, mm. you know, early nineties rock, rock and roll. You know, it, you can't really, the Smash, the Smash Pumpkins, they get lumped in with grunge. They get lumped in with psychedelic, even metal at times, but. Uh-huh. But there, there's something, there's something different happening here, right? It's something, something operatic happening, right? Yes. Like it's, oh. it's, it's so, it's so deeply dramatic. Beautiful way of, of, of wording it. Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. Like, a lot of bands sound like the Smash Pumpkins, but the Smash Pumpkins don't sound like anyone. You know, they have. Okay. I think they have their own, and a lot of it, a lot of it is Billy Corgan's guitar tone. You know, just like mm-hmm. sludgy. It's like. The, but the sludgy fuzz, you know, going yeah. on. I saw on the wiki like like other people were saying like oh they're the next Nirvana or whatever but I'm like I'm like really because I've never heard that but I guess like on paper I could see that but like th- this this dude's doing something pretty different than what uh, um, Nirvana's doing you know it, it's a very different thing absolutely like where I think like I, where I think Nirvana was more like of a punk rock band uh-huh. with more like punk elements. I feel like Smash Pumpkins were more just like like psychedelic prog rock, you know, and more more like metal at times, uh, but with just like incredible like melodic sensibilities. Like they're uh, yeah, like on the second song, it's like this like just like kind of like sludging, just like slow riff. Uh, the second song, quiet, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, okay, it's just it's just kind of like you know, almost like a metal song, but then the chorus kicks in and it's just like this like there's no I don't, there's no singing on it it's just like a catchy guitar riff and i don't know it's just they're they're firing on all so uh so cylinders here and uh uh-huh. i just i just adore this one i've never really listened to this one all the way through what was on gish the first one was Gish? it rat in a cage that was their big single that's um that one is off of uh melancholy oh what was there? The big one on Gish was like Rhinoceros, Siva, uh, and I Am One. Those are my faves off that one. But no, I think with this one, they like, they just absolutely just crushed it. Um, did you see who the producer was? No. Uh, Wait, uh, I saw that Billy produced a lot of it. Butch Vig, it says? Butch Vig. Uh-huh. Are you, are you familiar with the uh, productions of Butch Vig? I am not. Ooh. So, <laughs> in 1991, Butch Vig produced Gish. Um, and 
a little album called Nevermind by Nirvana. Wow. How about that? In 1994, he did uh, an album by an artist called Freedy Johnson, which is really fantastic. Um, he did uh, one of my favorite all-time albums by a band called AFI, Sing the Sorrow. Uh, he's worked with Green Day, Jimmy Eat World, Foo Fighters. He's one of my favorite producers. And part of that is his drum sounds that he gets. Did you listen to okay. the drum thing? I mean, yeah, I, um, uh, it might have been it might have been today or or Cherub Rock, which was fantastic. Oh, um, but um, a lot, there's a lot going on, a lot of a lot of crashes and a lot of rides, but there's always the hi hat. Yeah, like opening and closing to the whole thing, uh, almost as a click track. And I thought that was interesting because like some drummers don't do that, but some drummers do do that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, he's not hitting the hat hat, but he's closing it and opening it. And I thought it was interesting. His his fills on uh, Chair Brock, uh, J- Jimmy Jimmy Chamberlain's fills are just like, oh, it just adds so much to the song. It just takes it to the next level. Um, we talked about um, today uh, and disarm. I remember I was at a basketball game in like middle school, and a buddy mm-hmm. of mine had like an early MP3 player, <laughs> and it was okay. it was like the size of a double tr- A AA battery maybe a little wider. And he was like, Hey, check this song out. And he put it on and it was disarmed by, by smashing pumpkins. And it was the first time I'd ever heard smashing pumpkins. Wow. And not long after that, we were at Walmart. I was with my mom at Walmart and they had, um, a greatest hits for smash. And I begged wow. mom, can we please buy this? Can we please buy this? And she goes, okay. <laughs> was the best. And, uh, we bought it, and I still have that CD, and I listen to it. You still got the actual CD? Yeah. <clears throat> That's beautiful. Um, I, I I listen to listen pretty uh, pretty regularly up to a door. After that, they're like early two thousands and on. I kind of like yeah. Turned off. Uh, After a door came out, old Willie C came out and said like, "I hate that album. It's stupid. Why did it be?" Why do we move away from rock and roll? And then they kind of course corrected, and it was a little. I mean, these guys are undeniable, so I'm not gonna about to, you know, give them notes on which directions they should have taken. But you know, but I will say there's something about, um, especially like you know today, disarm, and on on an end like maybe all of melancholy, just something unnerving going on here. Like something's ups- something's upsetting about it. Like. And maybe it's the bells and the strings and all that shit that I don't think Nirvana ever really came close to. If I'm, I'm forgetting something, S- something theatrical and like and like weird and like you know his his weird voice change things that he does, that he does and he's fucking good at the king of. I can't think of any other vocalist that does that that voice switchover thing, the thing. It's so odd to me, but it works so well eerie and captivating and i i really dug it man awesome I'm, I'm glad you just went i thought it was uh i i it was one I, i'd listened to a lot um, in 2020 not because it was like a bleak or anything but i actually find like comfort in a lot of the smash pumpkins music i think because even though like the subject matter of the songs are very gloomy very dark at times i think they're the music whole hold such a a nice 
memory for me of being being young and hearing it and experiencing it for the first time that I often return to them and 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 and, and find myself really enjoying it. Actually, I actually got a chance to meet Billy Corgan one time. Yeah, okay, so you alluded to this, but you better fucking tell us the story. So it was during South by Southwest, like 2012, maybe, and um, and I I was hanging around, uh, and he comes down. We were hanging out in a in a hotel bar, and he walks down into walks down into the lobby. It's Billy Corgan. He's huge. He's very tall. Very tall guy, wearing all black. He's tall? Yeah, he's like very very tall. Um, wearing all black like you hope um, and <laughs> everyone swarmed him and you can you can tell he was kind of like not into it he was just kind of like uh, you know like I'm just trying to do my thing you know and I was there and I said hi Billy and he was like hi and uh, and I was like I was like I don't want to picture anything but can I just shake your hand and he was like okay you can and he shook I shook his hand and wow. And I was like, I was like, thank you, thank you for the music and everything. And he was like, he just—I don't remember if he said anything. I remember him just—he just smiled and like walked off. And after that, like security came and were like, "All right, guys, let him be," you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but people weren't being like—he wasn't being ugly. He wasn't being rude to anyone, and you know, I, which he you know very well could have. Um, he was, you know, he 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 was cool, and he had the softest hands ever. Really, even I mean, even after all those takes of guitar playing, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm le- legit curious about that. Like, but it, 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 but uh, yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that uh, is into um, being a celebrity. Yeah, and I totally agree. And, but he was, I'll always, I'll always remember that he 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 didn't have to. You could have said, "Nah, I'm cool," but he let me he let me shake his hand. These days, like, uh, you, can I can I bump shoulders with you, or can I bump elbows? Yeah, bump elbows. I, I'm okay. I'm into that. I'll I'll take it. But there was something special about. Ah, I imagine for you to like shaking a guitar player's hand. Yeah. Or shaking a DJ's hand. I'm like, you know, um, you know, Mixmaster Mike shook his hand. I'm like, ooh, Jazzy Jeff. Um, you know, oh, cool. Z-Trip, all these guys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like, I got to shake that guy's hand, and that hand has done some amazing fucking things so i don't know yeah is that that's not that's not terribly phallic but we'll drink anyway <laughs> see now you're now you're looking for it well so i think i think our uh season premiere season two premiere was a total success uh two winners yeah i would say um well all right well um have you do you have an album for next week i do do you um um and also uh thank you for sharing uh and getting me off my ass to listen to signing me's dream because i really enjoyed it awesome man thank you for introducing remedy to me it was a total blast and i think it's going to be getting pretty we're gonna get a texas winner so it's going to get down to uh 39 um in a couple is of it days. oh god mike mind something to brighten my mood and i will certainly return okay <laughs> maybe that should be a segment like how many times are going to revisit this you know thing like that might be something. Uh, are, you, are you going to revisit Remedy? I would. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going back to uh, Siamese Dream. So, awesome. Oh. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's as best of a compliment I can get, as I can give, I suppose. 
Awesome. Uh, uh, but so for so but for next time, what do you got? Yeah, hit me. Um, since you mentioned EDM and and like the modern state of electronic dance music and these you know these huge festivals and all that, I can't think of a better mid to late '90s album than this because a lot of um, this guy's work um, built the landscape for what we call trance music. And we haven't gotten to trance yet. Ooh, I'm excited. So like I, so like I said in our last episode, I'm going to go funky and I'm going to go melodic. So now we're going full melody. And this guy is like just, he's a, a pianist. And drink. <laughs> <'Cause that's, laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you to listen to um, an album by an artist named BT. Just the letters B and T. And the album is called ESCM. ESCM. Damn. And it's a uh, beautiful little landscape of an album. It, I think it's lovely. All right. Uh, tracks I'll got for is the opening track, Firewater, which is beautiful. And then um, Flaming June, which was a big single as the third track. And yeah. Awesome. Okay. So in keeping with the uh, phallic nature of tonight's episode. <laughs> okay. Maybe we can spill that over into <laughs> ne- next time. So this record is one I discovered late in life, um, but it ha- it contains quite possibly one of my favorite opening tracks ever. Um, oh my god! It's a little more on the heavier side, but I think you're gonna dig it. Okay. This one is gonna be a lot of fun to talk about. It was released. September 17th, 1996. And uh, we're going to be listening to Tools Anima. Oh, boy. That's one of those bands that I always hear about but really haven't explored. Awesome. What Dude, a great excuse to dive in. Okay, I, awesome. I think you're going to enjoy this album. It's got it's super proggy. Um, uh-huh. The musicianship is just incredible. Um, they're kind of like the Red Hot Chili Peppers of metal. You know, it's kind of oh. like amazing. These just amazing genius musicians and like kind of like a eh, vocalist, but it works, you know? Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, most of my friends are like huge Tool fans. And it seems like one of those bands where like where you're either all about them or they just don't make sense to you. They have a hardcore fan base. Uh, they're, I don't know. This one's cool. Um, this is the one I've listened to the most. Uh, tracks to listen for uh okay. the opening track stink fist song <laughs> okay eulogy 42 six and two and hooker with the penis drink wow there it is yeah well done <laughs> uh okay man are you psyched for uh diving into some trance music dude i I have a couple like cds from when i was younger that my cousin burned me with like some like random trance songs in there and I've been obsessed with them for most of my life. So uh, I'm excited to get some, some more trance into my Cool. Uh, I'm excited to finally give Tool a listen because I'm, uh, it's, one, it's been on my like, radar for so long. And, and, uh, but uh, so, okay, I'm psyched. Cool. <laughs> well, all right. I think we did it. I think we did it. Uh, you know what? I think this has been our best episode ever. I think so. Oh, wait. I feel pretty good about it. What? What? What do you got? Getting- oh, wait. What's I'm wrong? Something in the chat. 
Nev said Nev says she's doing a uh, a different podcast tonight. Um, what? Wait, she sipping Irish car bombs? I don't know. What? Nev. So I oh, I, I just told what? her. I told her. You know, we'll have our discussion uh, over over Tool um, next week. I, I I imagine she's a Tool fan. I mean, she's Nev. She's everything. Does she like Tool more than BT? <laughs> It's, it's it's just it's Adam all over again. Why is she texting you, and not like a group chat with you and I? I don't know. I'm just a little, a little much But it's fine. It's fine. She did say she said she did say is Elliot doing his phallic thing again? Oh, over what? What woman I did before? She told me she liked it. <laughs> she said that she thought it was funny. <laughs> well, my friend. All right. I think this was a good one. I think so too. And uh, wherever you're out there, cheers. Thank you for listening. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. And uh, stay safe and uh, listen to Smash Pumpkins and Basement Jacks. Yeah. And please enjoy yourself.